to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com thanks for tuning in sluts and scholars is a sex positive shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter while we love to give advice and resources please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist, and this week I am welcoming Nadej. Nadej is a sex scholar and the founder of Pleasure Science. She writes articles that will make you think and works with groups who are ready to transform. Working together, groups learn to transform their sexual shame, codependent patterns, and low self-esteem into independence, confidence, and relief that you are sexually normal. With the help of her workshops, you can feel healthier in your sexuality, which helps you have the high life satisfaction so you can move beyond sexual insecurity and feel peace and power as a sexual being. Uh, She's also just told me recently that she's like a very highly ranked um, writer on Medium. I already knew you were awesome on Medium, but now you're... (laughs) Now you're one of the best. Yeah, that was a really, that was a fun email to receive for sure. Amazing. Congratulations. Um, What do you think, what have been some of the most popular uh, writings that people have been drawn to? I think people really love learning about how like practices that would be considered more woo woo actually do have like scientific health benefits and especially when it comes to sex, um, which I, I love that I can help people in that way. Cause I, I love astrology. I love things like that, but then I also studied sex at Berkeley. And so I kind of straddle both of those worlds and, um, it's nice to kind of bring that into the conversation, that sort of woo woo element. <laughs> yeah. And I also didn't mention, this is the most important part, Nadej and I are friends. Yeah. <laughs> we've known each mm-hmm. other since high school. And so we've gotten to see each other like progress into our sexual selves more, um, which is a, a wonderful journey to witness with another person. Oh, absolutely. I mean, imagine like meeting someone when you're 15 and then when we were both in college, it's like, oh, you, you do the sex thing too. yes exactly now we both do some of the sex things um okay so you mentioned the woo woo topic how do you define woo woo because i've definitely talked about this on my podcast before but probably some of the most negative reviews or some of the only negative reviews i've had on podcast apps are from people being like i thought this was a science podcast and now you're talking about woo woo i'm out (laughs) (laughs) And I'm kind of like, why do the two things have to be mutually exclusive? Absolutely. Um, I define, I I actually don't know that I've ever defined woo-woo. I just think it's anything that is maybe more holistic or wouldn't automatically be considered like a scientific or medical, like doesn't fall into those scientific or medical or academic categories. Although what I have found is that a lot of times they do. Like, Mm. for example, um, warm water, hot water, like if you're really stressed and you want to take a shower, that's a really great thing that you can do for your body and for your sexuality. Um, And I actually am a big fan of when I'm with when I'm sexual with someone, um, actually taking a break and taking a shower by myself and then coming back. Um, Mm -hmm. It helps me realign and it helps my body relax. Mm hmm. Exactly. Yeah. 
I think that's a lot of people's struggle, and I, I don't want to, like, call out anyone who has said, like, I'm not into the woo-woo, because it's not up to me to tell you what you're interested in. But I do think a lot of the stuff that's described as woo-woo is often stuff that integrates the body and this, yes. like, somatic, com- som- the somatic component, which I've talked a lot about and had a lot of guests on this season of the podcast. So check out those episodes for those listeners if you're just tuning in. But I think it has to do with people feeling so uncomfortable in their body that anything that is out of the brain, anything that is out of, like, just thinking logically, like, research, is too overwhelming and too uncomfortable or really that you've never experienced or been out of practice with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is that exact reason why the woo-woo or the holistic element is so important. Um, Sex is a bodily experience, right? So if we don't consider how to feel comfortable in our body and what relaxes our body, we're not going to be as susceptible to receiving pleasure. You know, I mean, I think that one of the scientific ways that showcase how important body woo-woo practices are is when you look at the nervous system and how the nervous system will really affect your ability to receive pleasure. And if for any reason in a sexual moment, you have been activated or triggered um, and you start to feel in a fight or flight mode, which is so common, Mm -hmm. those holistic practices, that's where that comes in. You know, like maybe it's woo-woo to go take a shower in the middle of sex, but that has helped me as a a survivor of sexual trauma and just a human living in this world that was not designed for queer people or for women. Um, That just helps me get back into my body and into my head and feel really relaxed and calm. And that has helped more than reading scientific studies, you know? Um, So yeah, but I, I also understand what people, I, I get those comments too on my articles of people just dragging me because I'm like, I, I don't know, I'm like, oh, this is an astrology breakdown of sex. And people are just like, what? I don't want to read about astrology. And I'm like, well, your moon is probably in cancer. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you don't like astrology based on your astrological sign. (laughs) Exactly. But, you know, I think I love what you said, because what I got from what you were also saying is that basically it it is about people having the courage to discover what works for them. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Okay. So taking a shower in the middle of sex helped. How did you ask for it? And how Mm. did the partner respond? So um, I told them ahead of time. So before okay. I'm sexual with people, and this is something that I, I think this is something we is a journey figuring out how to talk about sex. Yes. So where I'm at right now with that journey is I really try ahead of time to just have a couple of things that I preface with people. So two things that I know come up for me is one experiencing um, pain in my vulva from vaginismus. When I put too much pressure on myself, my body completely tenses up. So that's another reason why showering works for me because it makes all my muscles relax. So one thing that I'll tell lovers is, you know, and I use science in my communication because that just helps me be like, you can't argue with this. Not that you would, or not that people try to argue, but I think people can be defensive and that's totally normal. But the first thing I'll say is like, Oh, just so you know, um, only 30% of people have an orgasm from their G spot from penetration. I'm not one of those 30%. 
And um, part of that is that sometimes my body responds to erotic moments in confusing ways and I experience pain. So something that'll help me is to take a shower um, in the middle of sex. And so I'll ask, I literally had um, a lover who lived a little like further away from me and we would tend to meet at his house because he didn't live with other people. And I was like, can I shower? Like, and and I like was asking him before I was like, even deciding if we were going to meet up. And I also asked what his shower situation was. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, cause, cause if it was like a shitty grimy shower, that wouldn't do the trick. That might not help. Or like, like, and also he's like a cisgender dude. So I was like, I don't know what you're uh, like, can you make sure your shower is clean? Like, I don't want like, you know, do you use a bathtub more? Um, yeah. But yeah, but he was super open to it. And I think for me personally, I have found that that statistic, like sharing with people, especially if you're going to have sex with a cisgendered man, which means that it's probably going to be a more penetrative focused sexual experience. Um, it really helps to tell them like, hey, there's this statistic that just shows that most people with a vulva do not orgasm from penetration. So one, I want to tell you that so you don't take it personally and that I don't have to put that Mm -hmm. pressure on myself. And two, it also helps me share with someone that like, I would prefer penetration not to last a really long time. Um, and for us to have fun exploring all the other things we could do with our body. Um, and then it also helps me put the kind of shower discussion in there, which is super unique, but it helps. And I wish I also, it wasn't unique though. I, I think know. this, this, it would be great if this was just a part of every discussion and, and for listeners out there who have listened to any of my episodes about non-monogamy or BDSM, there's so much that goes into negotiating a scene, meaning like playtime with somebody and that should not, and does not need to be reserved for kink and BDSM. Like this is for anyone who wants to have pleasure. I like in the workshops that I teach about communication, the two things that I, cause like Nicoletta knows this, but people listening may not know this, but I, along with having my academic experience, I trained to be a dominatrix for two years and I love kink and BDSM. And so I incorporate one, how, like, that's how I learned how to talk like this of like, Oh, 30% of people and blah, blah, blah. It's from BDSM. It's from learning how to be a dominatrix and learning how to ask people what they need and learning how to say what I need. And then also, you know, since you brought up BDSM, I think another thing that everyone should include in their sexual routine is aftercare, which is a part of that, you know, discussing sex beforehand in BDSM you know, scenes like Nicoletta was saying, which is just playing erotically with someone, they can range from, I just want a nice little spanky spank to tie me up, gag me, blindfold me and something something pretty intense. Make me cry. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Make me cry and make me love it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Don't get me turned on. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So there's this amazing um, practice called aftercare, which is before you're sexual or erotic, or you play with someone in BDSM, you tell them, this is how I need to be kind of rejuvenated after the erotic experience. And that can look like being held for 10 minutes, um, being cooked dinner, cleaning up, or maybe not being cuddled. I actually have a friend who her aftercare thing is, I don't want to be cuddled or touched after. And I was like, hey, that is super interesting. 
Um, I'm the exact opposite, but I love that. And um, I think a lot of people, regardless of if they've ever wanted to try BDSM or not, should talk with a lover about aftercare, what that would look like. Um, I think a lot of people get triggered from disconnected sex. um, And that discussion of aftercare, regardless of if it's casual sex or not, can really help you feel that like you were appreciated and cherished in the erotic situation. Right. And I, I love what you said about people feel triggered during disconnected sex. And unfortunately, disconnected sex happens so often. I often hear it in the way of like, maybe not wanting to do something or not really being in your body. And then feeling bad about saying no or whatever, bringing up what you want and then pushing yourself through it to where you totally dissociate. And then afterwards you feel shitty and then you feel bad. You feel guilty about saying something because you didn't say anything. And then it's just this whole self, I don't know, self beating up thing that happens. Totally. It's like, I know from, because I've so been there and like, for me, it starts a whole resentment cycle of being angry at myself, first of all, and then having resentment for my partner who did that they didn't notice. They didn't notice. And then they, they, maybe they had the orgasm. I didn't, they had the pleasure. I didn't. And so, um, and aftercare can really help with that. I also think something that, and this is another sort of woo woo practice, but it's something that helps me is journaling after I've had erotic moments and knowing in my brain and in my schedule, I'm going to devote the time to journal after an erotic moment. Um, so that way I can, cause our bodies, when we're sexual, that's not really a verbal com- language, you know, sex relies a lot on nonverbal bodies connecting with other bodies. So I find for me, it helps to know like, after I'm sexual with someone, I can journal about it and I can really one realign with myself, see what worked for me, what didn't work for me, what I can also take responsibility for. Cause I have realized in a lot of disconnected sexual situations, if I had just said something, then that may not have occurred the way it did. And maybe I'm putting blame on my partner or my lover and that blame is a little misplaced. Right. And so journaling really helps. When did journaling become woo-woo? I mean, maybe because I'm a therapist, I'm like, yes, journaling is great. But yeah, I I do. I want us to just almost get rid of this word woo-woo and just Mm. have it be like, do what works, right? Exactly. Do what your body needs, do what your whole mind, body, spirit needs. And maybe it's just, maybe woo-woo is like when people think there's not a lot of research on it or when it's not talked about or when it's body-based and they're afraid of it and they can't comprehend it in their mind. I think journaling, I don't know. Why is that even woo-woo? Oh, I don't. This is people telling me it's woo-woo. And I'm like, well, actually, (laughs) studies show that when you write something down, you think about it twice. (laughs) Yeah, people just, people will tell, I'm like, oh, I didn't even realize that that was too spiritual for you. But, um, But yeah, I mean, journaling, when you write something down, you have to think about it twice. So you're processing it in double time. So I think it's actually like, and like, you're a therapist. I mean, it is, it's really it's really powerful. I think another reason why people get turned off by woo woo is because sometimes it sounds too easy or too good to be true. Like, Oh, all you have to do is journal and, and suddenly my sex life will be better. And of course I don't think things are that easy, but I do think you can have real breakthroughs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also think sometimes the woo woo stuff for folks sounds less active 
Mm. So instead of being like, oh, I'm going to do this active thing that's going to make me feel better, it's like, let's lean into this, the process or the <laughs> feelings or the experience and really take the time. Like, that's really threatening, yeah. I think, for a lot of people because it requires you to check in with yourself, to have that insight, to have some of the words to do it. Um, that's not always easy. No, it's a journey for sure. I would say the most, I don't know if it's, I don't, like I said, I don't even want to define it as woo woo, but something that I really like, um, is just masturbation. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but I don't, I mean, sometimes you just want to like rub one out and like, that's fine. You just want to have an orgasm fine. Um, but I'm talking more of like really like setting the, setting the stage and making it a nice space and really taking my time and not giving myself a time constraint and allowing myself to like explore new things and try new stuff and like push myself to the limit a little bit, um, like figuring out what I what I like, um, and just like really giving myself this like erotic space. Um, and then if I want to take it to another level too, and this is something I've learned from other woo woo colleagues, um, is doing some self pleasure affirmations, meditations, whatever match, some people call it sex magic. Um, but trying to get myself to experience pleasure or orgasm, um, while thinking about just myself. And I don't just mean like thinking about myself in a sexual setting, but being like, I love you so much. You're so fucking awesome. You're going to do this thing. And being like, trying to get off on that. Um, I really think it gives me like a lot of energy and confidence throughout the day. Hell yeah. I've never tried that. And now I want to, and, um, you must and report back immediately. Absolutely. But I, I totally agree with you about setting the stage for masturbation. I think that's, that's so important and it can really make things. I mean, it just, that can be like what you do to just start that off. If it's super overwhelming to think about, getting into your body and getting in touch with your feelings, masturbating to your favorite playlist, easy, boom, you know, music is what feeling sounds like. So, and it's a sensory, it creates a sensory experience for masturbation and sex is a sensory bodily experience. So it can be like a very simple way to really start that process and start that journey. And, you know, I mean, if you want to enjoy sex with another person, enjoying solo sex with yourself is really important. Yeah. I also kind of like, I'm glad that you have the facts to share those with people. Obviously I have a lot of them too and the science and I get for some people, they need to have that maybe to feel safe or to move forward, but it kind of sucks that we feel like, I don't know for me at least that you feel like you have to prove yourself or have a reason of why something is needed for you. Oh yeah, you know, absolutely. Like, and I think a lot of, I don't know if this is a gendered thing, but I think a lot of people who are more feelings driven, whatever gender you are, often feel that way. Like I have to explain myself or give a reason as opposed to like, this is something I know that helps me with pleasure or that makes me feel comfortable or that will allow me to enjoy the sexual connection. That should be enough. You shouldn't have to be like, well, 30% or whatever, like it's, it's kind of backwards that that we even need to go there. Oh yeah. Oh, totally. I completely agree with you. Um, one of the reasons why I use that particular statistic is because when I'm having sex with someone and that person has a penis, I like 
don't want to have a lot of penetration. And so, and, and like people will get defensive about that because they have totally been taught that that's the main course of sex. That's the point. I also think that they get scared that like, maybe they're not going to enjoy it. Like, you know, like, and, um, and especially for casual sex, cause I'm single. So I have more casual sex than romantic sex right now. And so with casual sex, um, when I meet someone who has a penis and I tell them, and I try to kind of in a nice way, be like, we're not going to have as much penetration as you would with another bitch. Sorry. <laughs> um, but then like, here's the sort of statistics. Let me take like as much ego out of it as I can. And, um, and then at the end of the day, we always have a really good time because there's so much that you can do. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I have an, in, a gut reaction of like, oh, that's so much taking care of someone else, oh, but it it's is, also yeah. taking care of, it's also taking care of you, right? Because mm-hmm. you're making, you're kind of testing the waters of like, can this person even handle these conversations? Are they willing to even hear this? How do they respond to that? Um, do they get it? Can they, yeah. And look, not a lot of people in our country were taught how to have any of these types of conversations and to feel comfortable with that. And you also, for folks listening, you don't have to be the one to educate them about anyone else besides yourself. But it sounds like if you're willing, it could help you have a better experience. Yeah, it's it works for me. And, um, you know, I mean, it's the way that I've discovered how to make sex better for me personally. And, um, but yeah, you know, it's funny that you're saying that because now I am thinking like, oh yeah, there is some, some, some subconscious level here of me kind of vetting this lover. And I'm like, oh, if, if we want to be romantically involved and not just sexually involved, I mean, they would be, have to be able to take those conversations um, they can, and, and maybe be defensive if, I mean, people are human, but like still be open. Um, yeah. And for me, not even romantically, even if it is just a sexual partner, I mean, I can't say I've always followed this, (laughs) but even if it is just a sexual partner, ideally I want someone who can incorporate this stuff too, because I want to have a good experience. Like I want to enjoy myself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also speaking about sex education, um, only 18 states in the United States require sex education to be medically accurate. So for anyone Is that listening, true? yep, mm-hmm. it was 17 states up until last month and now we're up 18 states. Um, but you know, we got a long way to go. So for anyone listening, um, and feeling overwhelmed by that statistic, I mean, just know that it's okay and it's normal that you're not really educated about the sex that you're currently having. And this is why as adults, it's so vital that we need to educate ourselves about bodies and gender and sexuality. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, you know, I think that's part of being healthy in your sexuality, frankly, is just educating yourself. Yeah. Oh, but can you imagine, like, I don't know if you've heard any stories of like what is taught that isn't medically accurate. Have you heard any experiences that people have had? I had, um, this was actually a pretty scary one because I heard the same story from two different people who did not know each other or grow up in the same state. But both of these women were taught that, um, your vulva, which is the, your vagina, vulva or vagina, whatever word you want to use, but your vulva will, I think it will like take the shape of the first penis that enters it. 
So this is why it's so important for you to only have sex with the person that you're going to marry because your vagina will mold to that one penis. So if you have sex with people after that, you won't enjoy Ugh. it. And what was not only it's is so, that like, It's so disturbing. It's so disturbing and horrifying and not accurate. So if you also heard that, just know that that is not accurate in any way, shape or form. But what, what was even sadder was that I heard that from two different people who didn't know each other and who lived in two different places. So I was just like, okay, this is, um, this is a pervasive like myth. I mean, I'm not surprised, but also like beyond horrifying and the amount of shame one has to overcome to combat that early narrative is immense. Like I've seen people like this in my office and it takes years sometimes more to like undo for a lot of people to undo this shame and the damage it does. Like I, Oh, it's, it's disturbing. It is time again to advertise my favorite sex tool, pleasure device, whatever you want to call it. This episode is sponsored in part by Satisfier. Satisfier is offering lucky listeners 30% off any Satisfier when you go to satisfier.com and enter code S and S 30 at checkout. In this episode, I talk about ways to practice self-care and increase self-esteem through self-pleasure. And my favorite way to do this is with my Satisfier devices. Honestly, I've been in this field for over 10 years and these devices have changed the game for me in terms of the pleasure they provide. I've learned new things about myself, what I like, and even what my body is capable of thanks to Satisfier products. Satisfier makes beautiful vibrators and air pulse stimulators with cutting edge technology. And they're at pretty affordable prices, which I know is relative. But their new line of products is Bluetooth enabled, and you can pair it with their Satisfier Connect app. So you can connect your device to Android, Apple, and iWatch to control it yourself or have someone else control your device, check your battery life, and more. My new fave toy is called the Dual Pleasure, which features internal stimulation and air pulse technology, which is like that suckling feeling, which if you haven't tried, you must. Satisfier, again, is offering lucky listeners 30% off any Satisfier when you go to Satisfier.com and enter code S&S30 at checkout. Again, if you're looking for one of our favorite new devices, go to Satisfier.com and use code S&S30 for 30% off. That's S-A-T-I-S-F-Y-E-R, Satisfier.com, S-A-N-D-S-30 for 30% off. And while you're at it, remember to stock up on lube. Sadly, Uber Lube may not be compatible with all satisfiers because they're both made from silicone, but that's what makes Uber Lube so amazing. Uber Lube is a luxurious, high-grade silicone lubricant made from clean, body-friendly ingredients. It's just silicone with a little bit of vitamin E, and that vitamin E helps leave that velvety finish that actually moisturizes the skin. Right now, they're offering listeners a special 10% off and free shipping when you use my code S&S at uberlube.com. And Uberlube is for everyone. Lots of doctors recommend Uberlube as their go-to solution for patients experiencing dryness. Uberlube's simple ingredient list makes it widely used by people with sensitivities to other lubricants. And remember, dryness does not have to mean that anything is wrong with you. You can be aroused and feeling desire, and sometimes your body needs a little extra help. It's not a machine. So if you're also a human being, invest in some lube. Uberlube offers long-lasting performance when you want it to and then quickly dissipates without leaving a sticky residue. It feels like a nice moisturizer when you're finished. 
I have one in my purse, my shower, on my bedside table. I even use it sometimes as just a little moisturizer for my body and for my hair. And again, right now, they're offering Sluts and Scholars listeners a special 10% off and free shipping when you use my code S&S at uberlube.com. That's 10% off and free shipping. Just use promo code S-A-N-D-S at uberlube.com. Now, back to the episode. Or the other one I've heard, too, is... uh. You know, I think the normal one is like the more you have sex, the more stretched out you get. Yes. Um, so mm-hmm. the fear, the fear of having a quote unquote loose vagina, um, or whatever that means. Uh, I mean, bottom line, everyone's vaginas are different because bodies are different. Yeah. No, a lot of sex does not quote unquote stretch it out or make <laughs> it. It's it's very elastic. It yeah. can come back and. Uh, can you imagine like being told this like i i mean look we weren't even told this and i know from like we've had to work through some of our oh, own yeah, stuff absolutely yeah but can you imagine like being told this oh i i mean when i hear that stuff it breaks my heart i remember being at a dinner party um with a bunch of women who were all moms and i was the youngest person there and they were in their mid 40s early 50s and they were all talking about um redoing their vaginas surgically because they'd had kids and they weren't going to have any more kids and they wanted to be like quote unquote tight again and i was just like excuse me, I need to give some non-consensual advice about this topic. <laughs> I, I was just like, And did they hear you? Were they able to like they understand listened, it? But um, I think exactly like you said, this is something that takes a really long time to undo. So I planted a seed, but I don't think, I, I still think some people went ahead with their surgeries. And honestly, at the end of the day, you should do what you feel is best for your body. You're the one living in your body. But it did make me sad because a lot of the anxiety they had really was about pleasing someone else and hoping that someone else would enjoy being inside of their vagina. And I think that is where some of the really negative aspects of sexual empowerment in the mainstream media come from. Um, and we say, can get, say more about that. I think we just get really mixed messages. Um, if you look at the sexual empowerment movement in the mainstream media, it can feel like sexually, like sexual empowerment means that you're having sex all the time um, and that you are sexually turned on. You're aroused easily and all the time. Actually, I believe that sexually empowered people know their boundaries. They know how to say no. uh, They know how to advocate for themselves and they are absolutely not having sex all the time. Um, That is maybe one of the least important things of the sexual empowerment movement. Um, and so we get these really mixed messages and it's confusing. Um, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think the same is true. in in a lot of these movements, like thinking of the quote unquote body positivity movement, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of that has sometimes made to be seen as, Oh, if you're heavy and fat that you're, that it's okay. But there's also people who are really naturally bony or skinny or fat in different places or whatever. And and it's kind of like, doesn't feel like it can reach all these people. I I agree with you though. I I think being sexually empowered is knowing yourself and continuing on that journey because it's an ongoing one and making informed decisions based on having all the information. Because like you're saying, I think, Yes, if you if surgery is needed for you, if it's right for you physically, emotionally, whatever, 
And I think it's really important to know why we're making the decisions we're making and who are they for? Are they for me? Are they to maximize, you know, my pleasure and the connection that I'm having with myself and with others? Or is it just in service? Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially people who identify with their femininity really strongly have to think doubly hard about that one because we're conditioned to people please and accommodate and all of these really negative gendered habits absolutely follow us into the bedroom. Um, And so it is something to really think about and really consider. I mean, I, we knew each other in high school and I can't say that I knew everything about, you know, how you were feeling as a sexual person at the time. (laughs) What do you think was most helpful to get you to a confident knowing yourself place enough where you could say to a potential new lover, Hey, I need to be able to shower at your place. Can you clean it? Is it clean? Because I need this for my pelvic pain. And this is what that means. Like, (laughs) What has been most helpful for you in that journey? Because I I mean, maybe you could say it at 15. But I'm like trying to imagine either of us saying that. And I don't know if that if we had the words for that. No, definitely not. I mean, I think we were both trying to kiss as many cute people as we could at the age of 15, but the the sexual yeah, communication accurate. was was not high on the list at that time. You know, I'd say for me, I'm definitely someone who loves words and reading, and so what really did help me was learning about things like the orgasm gap, which actually, you know, for anyone listening, Nicoletta has a great episode about that. Um with Dr. Lori Mintz. So you can look up, look that up, um, on few, on past podcasts, but she also just recently did a talk or maybe it was a bit ago at UCLA with Rachel Bloom from crazy ex-girlfriend, which you I love also... that show. Oh, oh my yeah. God. It's a, such a, I don't even want to say guilty pleasure. Such a pleasure. Oh, absolutely. Um, you would literally like, I would be sleeping over at your house and you'd be like, do you want to go on YouTube and just watch these musical numbers from crazy ex-girlfriend? <laughs> and they were delicious. They were amazing. <laughs> that sounds like me. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, yes, <laughs> she's great. Check her out. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. So re- reading, what else? Reading. Um, I think also just being brave and trying to imperfectly talk about it. Um, the first time I tried to talk about sex with a lover, I still remember it. I got a little too drunk cause I was nervous. Um, which I don't recommend doing, but I also think, Hey, if you're practicing this, it's very scary and try what you can to like, get yourself comfortable to have these conversations. But, um, I made a commitment to myself that I was going to talk about something specific with a lover from a long time ago. And I was like, this is enough is enough. And so we were hanging out on our date and I kept postponing, bringing it up. And then, um, we were having drinks with dinner and I drink a little more than I usually would. Cause I was so nervous. And then by the time we spoke about it, um, we were both sitting on the couch and I sort of just word vomited. And, um, and this was also with a straight man, which is funny. Like that is the, um, <laughs> that's the trend. Cause I didn't have the same nerves when I was with, um, my queer identified partners or women identified partners, but I sort of word vomited and he got very overwhelmed. And then, um, the date ended and I went home, but I, I actually felt really accomplished. And I realized that, um, the goal hadn't been to do it perfectly. And I think that was why I felt accomplished afterwards. Um, I went into that with the goal of just speak um, and not the goal of this conversation has to go well, sex has to be better. Um, The goal was just to speak and to see what that felt like. And um, 
And then after that, it's about practice. Um, I also think something that can help people, and I'd love to hear what you think about this too. Um, I don't think we should have all of our conversations over text message, but I think if you're really nervous, initiating or scheduling the conversation over a text message can at least just help you get that out there that you want to talk about sex with someone that you're dating or someone that you've been with for a long time and breaking the ice through a text message. I do think there are a lot of limitations, obviously, of not seeing the person. Mm -hmm. And I am such a proponent for like folks who are neurodiverse. Mm -hmm. And I think for like we've been talking about the nervous system. Mm -hmm. And so if you are still working on ways to ground yourself and cope with that potential freeze response that allows you not to, or it doesn't allow you to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it's a good way to open the door. Um, and if that works for you, great. I think maybe it, you know, I wouldn't say that should be the only one because yeah. then the conversation might stop there. And once you get in person, shit can change. Right. Yeah. And, and I think it, I mean, I think it's a valid way to practice and it, and it feels safer for a lot of people. Yeah, Absolutely. I'd almost rather you say it in any way you could say it. Exactly. Oh, totally. Than not say it at all. What do you think? I agree. I mean, hey, the first time I talked about it, I had one too many shots of tequila and I was like, we're going to talk about sex now. (laughs) But I also, I'm a big fan of the like, um, cheesy phrase, name it to tame it. Ooh, I've never heard of this cheesy phrase. Which I learned, well, which I learned while, while working at one of the the horse ranches that I work at. And it sounds so like, I imagine like a pony being like, name it to tame it, like (laughs) with your mane. I don't know. But yes, name it to tame it. Meaning like if you are nervous, if you're anxious about the conversation to just practice at least saying that part, like I'm so nervous right now, or like I'm so awkward right now. I, I'm, I don't have the words like, please bear with me uh, just to, to say it. As Absolutely. opposed to trying to pretend that you're fine and everything's fine. We're all fine. Fine, fine, fine. Um, and just, yeah, just owning it. Totally. I mean, awkwardness is an icebreaker, you know, like, and use it as one. I agree. Especially now we have a built in one with the pandemic. Like everyone is like, oh yeah, I'm learning how to talk to people again. You know, it's, it's just part of like every conversation now. Yeah, absolutely. even if even if it's not because of the pandemic, like just use it. <laughs> 100%. I have absolutely been like at a social gathering and I was just feeling awkward and I knew it really wasn't about getting back out there after the pandemic, but I'm like I'm going to use this cuz it yeah. just it it eases everything. I mean, I think this ties into everything we've talked about already, but one of the things that you seem to write about and talk about a lot is improving self-esteem Yes, um, and just kind of owning that. I, I'd love to hear more about what you've found helpful on that for yourself and, um, and how others can maybe start that journey. Absolutely. So um, I would say the two things, one is to find people who accept you, truly accept you for who you are. Um, Yeah, community is key. Yeah, community is key. Um, When we are surrounded by people who accept us, we do experience more self-esteem. But when in our brain, when we think negative thoughts and have negative thoughts constantly kind of imposed on us by maybe a parent or a friend who's jealous or what have you, when you have consistent negative thoughts in your brain, your brain's going to produce less gray matter, um, which is less tissue for your emotive systems, the systems that help process emotions to process stress, anxiety. So it's sort of a really negative self, um, 
what is that word? Self-producing cycle. I I'm forgetting self-fulfilling. There there it is. There it is. (laughs) Um, but it's a really negative cycle. So one thing that I am very intentional about is, um, being friends with people who just really accept me for a hundred percent of who I am. And then for the people in my life who maybe don't do that, having kind of a special place for them, but knowing that I'm going to have more boundaries in place around them because I do need to protect my psyche. And then I'd say the other practice that has really helped me um, raise my self-esteem and that I, I tell people about is developing a spiritual practice that speaks to you. Um, there's this amazing therapist named Dr. Diana Kirshner, and she's been studying relationships and breakups specifically since the late eighties. And she developed this process to, um, bounce back from a breakup in 90 days, which can sound like way too good to be true. But, um, one thing that she found in her research is that people who develop a spiritual practice, um, just have higher confidence and higher self-esteem. And I think that's because developing a spiritual practice is a way of realigning with yourself of hanging out with yourself. And so for me, I love astrology. Um, I love those kind of witchy, um, sex magic things. I'm also Jewish and there's a very mystic element of Judaism that I really relate to. And, and I love being Jewish. Um, so those are that those spiritual practices really, really help me. Um, but yeah, I mean, what have you have always had high self-esteem, which I love. Um, you've always been a joy to hang around. So what are your ways that you, um, like heighten your self-esteem and, and feel yourself? Thank you for saying that. I think before, before I get to that, I just want to say that I think I love the, that approach you're talking about. I'll have to check out Diana Kirchner more. Um, I think the thing that can be tough about that, like post breakup is just having the energy to do it. You know, if you're in grief and you're depressed, it's like nothing sounds good, even all the things that you liked before. And so I would even invite people to do it before a breakup or like, if you know, a breakup is coming or what, (laughs) you know, I guess I don't want to say like, always assume there's a breakup because that's not a good way to live your life, but just to uh, try to work on that even before, because it's, it's hard you know, it's interesting because I have had a lot of people tell me that and I I don't know if it's always true. Mm. I mean, I do think that self-esteem is like riding a wave. Like I personally don't feel like you become confident and then you are confident forever and for always. I think it's being able to ride that wave when the negative voice comes in. Yeah. Um, So with a lot of clients of mine, we'll like literally name their negative voice, you know, and discover like whose voice might that be, give them a name. It could be someone who's been shitty to you or like some villain in a comic book. Um, And when you hear that person come up, be like, shut the fuck up, Karen. Sorry to use Karen again. I feel like we're hating so much on Karens in the last couple of years. So maybe I'll use a different name. Joyce. (laughs) Like, like, thank you for sharing Joyce. I did not ask you for your fucking input. Like, please kindly fuck off. And, um, and then you invite in another voice, you know, to chime in. And that could be someone from your community, someone that you look up to someone that's like a support system, um, in your life. I also definitely think community, like you said, is key because if you're hearing this negative narrative from others, like you were saying, it, it, hearing it over and over can change your brain chemistry, which sucks. But the upside is the more you hear and practice the positive stuff, that can also change your brain chemistry. And so you need to find as many ways as possible to 
repeat this more positive narrative through community, through self-talk, um, through surrounding yourself with support systems to combat the Joyce and Karen voices uh, inside of yourself. Um, but I also think, I do think some of it is like how you were raised, you know, and yeah. how your your parents talk to you. I think what I got in potential body and physical confidence, I have lacked in performance confidence. Mm. Um, so my, my family was a bit like perfectionistic. They're all business people and have been professional athletes. And so there was a lot of like, your worth is defined by what you do mm. and how much you win and how much you, you can achieve. And so I do think self-esteem is shows up differently for people. Right. And what you're maybe better at in some ways is a struggle in other ways. So, uh, lots of therapy, <laughs> lots yeah. of somatic work, lots of challenging that self-talk and, and lots of community, I would say would be the, the keys for me, but it's, it's not, perfect right there are days yeah. when it's harder there are days when it sucks there are days when you don't feel like you have the energy to talk back to those negative voices um it's definitely not linear totally and i also think it's it's important to acknowledge that things will happen that will like you can have proof as to why you're ugly you're stupid you're you know all of those negative things they don't just come out yeah. of nowhere um maybe school was not the place for you and you didn't excel there. And so this idea probably that because stupid, they don't uh, do anything for neurodiverse students exactly. and make you feel stupid. hundred <laughs> percent. Yep. It, like it isn't your fault, but the, and see, and that's, what's so important. I think like with, if you surround yourself with other neurodivergent people, you'll begin to realize how the system is set up against you. But if you don't, then you have all this proof as to why, you're stupid for, you know, lack of a better example, only to hang out with other people and realize there's proof for both stories. There's proof for the story of you're intelligent and worthy. And there's proof for the story of you're stupid and unworthy, um, or ugly and, or whatever it is, you know, whatever it is that we feel that is lowering our self-esteem. Um, and I also think, I mean, like you said, it is a journey because those, ways to lower self-esteem will always find you, you know, like, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a muscle. It, it really yeah. is a muscle. Um, just like going to the gym, you know, if you fall off of your physical routine, um, you may notice a difference or you may notice it's harder to get back to your workout routine or whatever it is. So it's the same muscle and it's, it's not, I want to say it gets easier, but it's still work. Yeah, totally. But it does get oh, easier. Yeah. <laughs> we we covered so many good things. I know. <laughs> I think. Oh, I think so too. Thank you so much for, for joining me. It's so cool to talk to you as friends and, and colleagues. And I, I think we covered a lot of great stuff, but I'm biased. Um, how can people hire you, uh, get in touch, uh, read your work? Absolutely. So um, you can find me at Pleasure Science on pretty much any social media handle. Um, if you want some free guides, um, like for example, we talked about how most people don't get the sex education they deserve. Um, I have a free guide called nine sex secrets that you never learned in school. So you could go to pleasurescience.com slash free to check out our free resources that can help you feel healthier in your sexuality. Um, and if you are interested in booking any of my workshops, head to pleasurescience.com and you could see all the great stuff. There's links to my articles. Um, and, and yeah, that's just look up pleasure science. <laughs> 
Awesome. I'm so, I'm so glad that you're that you've put all that together. And uh, again, if you want to follow what I'm doing here on the podcast, uh, Sluts and Scholars on Instagram for however long they allow me to stay there on Twitter at Sluts Scholars. And again, please rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to use those discount codes for the advertisers because the more you support them, the more you support the podcast. And I personally vet uh, as best I can each one of the advertisers. So there are things that at least I, I like and find helpful. Thanks so much. And yeah, you've actually given me some great vibrators. So definitely use her discount. Thank you. (laughs) Amazing. You heard it first. Okay. Uh, Talk to you all next week.